uh, I heard somebody describe it as like being an emotional adrenaline junkie, yeah. right? So if if you if you've ever lived through uh, a situation that was traumatic, but people survived, you know, you get that rush, mm. and you're like, <gasps> right? Um, and then sometimes I think we try to manufacture that because we feel like something's missing or this is boring, you know, and people do it in relationships a lot where they're just looking for like the charge, right? And especially if they come from a, a, a household that had some sort of trauma, right? Maybe a parent who was um, battling some sort of addiction or abusive, right? That, that the family bonded over um, trying to shield themselves from whatever that force was. And often that force would pr create adrenaline. And so they associate, you know, what, what feels good to be close to people when you're going through a crisis. So then they create a crisis because they want to feel close to the people. They want to have that charge. And so I think sometimes we end up doing that and we don't even realize that we are just in the way of our true intent. Mm, I agree. And that it's crazy. Welcome to The Jealous Vegan, a podcast about healthy eating, habit change, and the hurdles we all need help overcoming. I'm Jennifer Hunley, co-founder of The Jealous Vegan, also known as The Voice. Today we are joined by April Cunningham, co-founder of The Jealous Vegan, health and life coach, also known as The Influencer. Lisa Carter, founder of Kinetic Fitness, also known as The Balancer. So you're actually listening to part two of our series on self-sabotage. So if you haven't listened to part one, please stop right now. Go back to wherever you're listening to this podcast and take in the first part of our discussion on self-sabotage. Mm -hmm. Okay, if you didn't do that, I'll go ahead and recap <laughs> some of the main points from that earlier discussion. So self-sabotage is any action that gets in the way of your intent. And so this, some of this material comes from an article published by Psychology Today called Why Do We Self-Sabotage, right? And so the idea is everybody knows that we should eat better. Everybody knows we should exercise. You know, all of these things are, you know, don't, don't buy more than you need, so forth and so on. So if we know it, why can't we just do it? What is it that prevents us from accomplishing all of the things we want to do? And so this article talks through six ways that we self-sabotage. And we already discussed the first three, but just for the sake of those who didn't have time to listen to the prior episode, I will list them here again. So number one reason why people self-sabotage is self-worth. You feel undeserving of success or happiness. Number two is control. Self-sabotage may not be pretty, but it's better than spinning out of control. And number three is perceived fraudulent. This is otherwise known as the good old imposter syndrome. So those were the first three reasons that we discussed in our last episode. And so tonight we're gonna talk about the, the next three. Number four, for a handy scapegoat. And so the description is, oh, of course you left me, I was never around. Of course I failed the class. I barely studied for any exams. And these may be true things, right? But really we turn uh, whatever situation inward and we start to blame ourselves. 
Number five is familiarity. If you're used to being or feeling overlooked, mistreated, or exploited, it's strangely reassuring to put yourself in that position. Number six, sheer boredom. Once in a while, we self-sabotage simply to push buttons. Sabotaging ourselves creates the familiar feeling of instability and chaos. Plus, if we're stuck at the bottom, we might as well brandish power while we're down there. So those are the, the next three or the final three reasons the article points out. So for a handy scapegoat, familiarity, and sheer boredom. Okay, so I'm just going to play devil's advocate for a moment. Poppycock. I don't, nobody self-sabotages. Either you do it or you don't. It's like, you know, get it done or quit complaining. Like, it's just about uh, my... It's just about your willpower. Do it or don't do it, but don't complain about it and don't blame anybody else. Willpower. Make it happen. Yeah, if it were that simple, then everyone would be exactly who they want to be. Okay, so some people would say they're weak then. And that may be true in some instances, but I don't think that that's the majority of people, right? When you see someone who is, uh, you know, I'll use... Uh, Something like someone who's homeless, right? Do you think that that's what people want for their lives? That that's what they're aspiring to? When people are incarcerated, you know, do you think that that's what they want for their lives? No. Hmm. Anyway. And, and I would counter argue, well, here's the thing. No, I, I don't disagree, right? I said I was going to play devil's advocate for a second, like, and somebody would say, the devil doesn't need any more advocates. Is that you that says that to me? Never said that, but that's um, a good one. <laughs> That is a good one. <laughs> I feel like, yeah. Um, but, but I think, to your point, right, like homeless, right? Um, so there are lots of reasons for us people are homeless. And a lot of people, just to be realistic, a lot of homeless people, or not a lot, there are homeless people who are mentally ill. Yes. So there's, there's that, right? But there's the idea that I want to touch back on what you said of weak, right? I said they're weak, and you're like, that may be true. And I specifically touched on that because um, we have this idea of, like, weak and strong. Um, I was talking to a client of mine. He's like, I don't think that a man should be shy. Um, that, that, that feels wrong that a man should be shy. And I thought to myself, shy is... Not gender bound. That's a human emotion, right? No, but seriously, but, yeah. but for him, it was just like, he, he kind of felt a little bit of shame that he wasn't more gregarious maybe. And I thought to myself, that's just you. That's, there's no shame in it, right? right. And, but, 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 and it, what came with it was this connotation of weak or strong for a man. Mm -hmm. And so I bring it up to say that there's so much, um, emotional and mental perception around um, our actions and our feelings that inform the sabotage, right? So um, the idea that, that how we feel about a situation or an experience that makes us feel inferior or makes us doubt our self-worth our self mm -hmm. becomes the thing that gets carried forward and the actions we take, destructive or constructive, to compensate for that feeling, which can be largely subconscious, and a lot of people would say, you know, this is all psychological babble, but I will say that from my coaching practice, it's very much so, it's, it's very much so true and alive in the way people choose to cope with and 
um, navigate the human experience. And one of those things that I viscerally have a reaction to is weak or strong. We are all trying to to survive the human, survive and navigate the human experience. I agree with you there, but I do think that there are. Um, that people are unaware of the fact that they are in their own way. Yep. Right. And so I, that's why I, I was glad that we decided to tackle this topic because I think it's important for us to take a look at, you know, how many of these things are things that I'm doing in some area of my life that I've said I want to be different. Right. How many times am I going to hit the program hard? How many times am I going to, you know, come Monday, you know, or, you know, you were talking about tomorrow. Right. But I'm going to run every day, every day. I'm going to start over with my running program. Right. And that's the thing that I would say to the person who uh, maybe had your devil's advocate responses. You know, those people are weak. I feel like people who approach that, that these this idea of self-sabotage with that mindset of like, not me, other people do that. But I would never do such a thing like are those people. I feel like are not really in tune with themselves and like their life day to day. If you ask those people, I feel like if you were to dig a little deeper and go beneath the surface, like think of something that you didn't accomplish and think of a time that you possibly self-sabotage off the bat, they would say, Oh, I don't have a situation like that. But if you could dig a little bit deeper, they would find that there are absolutely times that they have self-sabotage and there are, um, things about themselves that they are not present to and that maybe they do see as a weakness in other people, but they themselves might actually possess it as well because we never see ourselves accurately, right? We always think that we, we're so much different, but we all honestly possess the same sort of emotions, the same responses to things, uh, the same ways of dealing with um different situations unique to us, but within a, 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 a range, a broad range of, of things that are all, you know, the Human. same. We all, we all feel fear. We all, you know, are hard on ourselves about whatever those things are. So that mm-hmm. would be my response kind of to someone who's kind of devil's advocate is, are you really looking at yourself honestly? And are you being fair to another person by looking at them through what you think is an accurate picture of yourself because your lens is broken probably. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Um, One of the things, first things that my coach said to me, first coach said to me was if, if you spot it, you got it. So uh, the idea is that we get triggered by things that other people do that are shame triggers for us. So for me, example, um, when I worked in a corporate environment, I, I did not like to see a woman cry in a meeting, like seriously, like boss up, like, you don't, you got, you no, like this is just business, <laughs> handle it, right? She didn't even get it out. <laughs> but, but I realized as I started my own journey of like, but crying is human though. And it isn't just women who cry. It's men who cry. Men have the same kind of. Shame trigger, like, you don't cry. That would, you know, there's a whole other thing that happens with men, right? But they'll get angry, Mm -hmm. frustrated, yelling, screaming, banging on tables, all kinds of other ways to express it that's also, that that could also be perceived as inappropriate. And sometimes it is, even more so than crying. 
Right, and really, it all comes down to is you don't want to be labeled as the emotional one. But or the men weak, express or the weak one. Right, but men express the emotion or the weakness differently. And I would go as far as to say it's not weak, though. That's that's what so, I'm challenging. It's like, yes, we're saying the same thing, right? Like they express it differently in a work environment because it's more acceptable for them to get upset, for example, and yell, and it's not acceptable for a woman to cry. Whereas it's an expression, though, of the human experience that's just. It's it's a different expression of the same human experience. But to say, to go back to what I was saying is that I felt triggered when I would see women crying in the workplace because I thought it was weak. It's not actually weak. It's just I thought it was weak. So when, And I had moments when I would want to cry. I got emotional pressure and stress and whatever. And I wouldn't because I'm like, no. And no one's going to see me cry, right? Yeah. But the real strength was... For the women that I, I witnessed, the real strength was being able to be seen, yeah, to right? And, and to be seen as, air quote, weak, but also yeah. human, right? Which was something I was responding to in them, but it wasn't them. It was me. Because then I would say, well, why do you feel like it's weak to cry? Like, right. What, what, sir, what uh, situation did you go through or what was your experience in life? that made you feel like it's weak for a woman to cry in these sorts of situations. And there's always some sort of trigger point to that where we create a defining line of like, this is not acceptable or this is acceptable, you know? And when you really get to the heart of that, it's probably something way more serious and way more deep that even made you have that mindset in the beginning, right? Of like, we don't do that. So, right. Yeah. Right. And and what's what's always so curious to me is that oftentimes we think the problem is someone else's. Because if you talk to me, then I'd have been like, she's weak. She needs to boss up. She she doesn't know how to actually work in a work environment and be like, you, do you know how does she know how many men we work in here with and what they're gonna say and what that looks like? Like, right? It's the whole thing. But and I would put it on on this woman, this external thing. Right. When really the problem was mine and my perception of this external thing. And I, I call it out because I, it happens so often that we put the blame for our feelings and our shame triggers. We put that blame on somebody else or something else yeah. or some experience that mm. is beyond our control because it's easy to do that. It's easy to blame mm. somebody else. It's easy to blame this past experience that you can't change yeah. versus to your point, Lila, looking at ourselves and saying, what's happening here? What, why, why is that a thing? Why am I feeling tension? Mm. And I, I'm the one stuck with the tension. She's letting it out because she's crying and she's going to feel good after. Because right. she has had that Getting energy that release. release. Yeah. And I'm sitting here feeling like, I'm going to go get a coffee. Because <laughs> I need to just get out of here with all this emotion in here. Well, I think we're often projecting, right? Yeah. Absolutely. It's the epitome of the projection. Yeah. So, I, you know, when I think about um, this list of things that uh, lend, lend to self-sabotage, the one that really sticks out for me is familiarity. Right. And so um, I was thinking that going back to the whole devil thing, the devil, you know, is better than the one you don't know. Right. And so it comes down to being comfortable. And so while we may say that we don't like something about ourselves and in, in my case, you know, I'll say, I, you know, I don't like being overweight and I can give you all the reasons why it's bothersome. When I think about why I am where I am, I can also pinpoint all the times that I sabotaged myself and it became, and I think that everybody struggles with 
this in relation to habit change, whether it's about food or anything else, is well, that's what I know. And it's uncomfortable to think about doing something that is outside of what you know or what you're used to. And so you just say, well, you know, even though this isn't great, at least it's, it's, it's okay. I'm used to it, you know? And so we just end up settling for whatever it is that we have or that we've been doing, even when there's something else that we want. Um, but we can't get to it because, oh, I don't really, I don't really know what that's going to feel like. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's yeah. some anxiety and trepidation and fear associated with it that prevents us from being able to make the change. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs I talk to um, and people that I coach and they're like, listen, I want to go do this incredible uh, entrepreneurial adventure but I'm scared because right. I don't know how and I don't know what that looks like. And what if I fail? And how do I get on? How do I create a podcast? I have no idea how to do that. It scares me. Well, of course it scares you because you don't, you don't have, you, it's not known. It. It's scary. I'm just kidding. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's not known. Anything unknown is scary. Yeah. But th- that's by design. Like if it were known, you wouldn't have any fear of it. Um, and it's also the idea of like, People get stuck in the how. How do I do it? I don't have all the elements. Who would I line up? How would I get to what? What resources do I need? I have no idea how. And so because they're stuck in the how, they don't do anything. Yeah, and I think we talked about it in last week's episode is that really the challenge is that it's not the how, it's the why. Right. So don't, I I won't say don't worry about how, but set that aside for a moment and focus on what is it and why do I want it? And then if those two things are, are strong enough and clear enough and loud enough, then the rest falls away and you'll figure that part out. Right. Yeah. And, and I would even go a step further to say that the how, I say this all the time, is the how becomes illuminated when you're clear on the what, on the what and the why. You know what your point on the horizon is. The how is a, a matter of setting down steps in a, in the, in, in the, on the lawn, like, Okay, I know I'm going to the driveway from the front door, so I'm just going to put down a stone here and a stone here. Oh, and if there should happen to be something in my way that I can't put a stone down directly, then I'm just going to put it a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right. But either way, I know where I'm going. The how can be, can you can find the how in the flow of it, yeah. right, in the path of it. Um, it's that's, like not, that's not the important question. Why are you doing it? And where are you going? W- what are you doing? Yeah, I think it's like rock climbing, you know, um, and I wish I knew the name of this guy that somebody on the plane across from me was watching this like 60 minutes special about this guy who does free climbs, like these insane free climbs. Um, and so, I mean, I could hear it, but of course I'm watching it and I'm thinking about, you know, like, why would somebody do that? And then later someone mentioned it um, at a at dinner and we were talking about the idea that the guy, he will do it like with a harness the first time. So he knows and he's trying to feel his way through it. So, you know, it, the path is not defined for someone who's rock climbing, but they know what to look for and they know what to feel for. And they're like, well, I'll find a way. Um, yes. And that's what, that's what it find is. Find a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I w- really wish that people, like kids get this intuitively, right? Like, uh, mommy said no cookies. 
before dinner. Great. It's after dinner. Let's have some cookies. Or mommy said, um, take the trash out. But she didn't say when. Like they're, they're always like putting together loophole. how to find that <laughs> loophole. I'll find a way. If I don't want to do it, I'll find a way to avoid it or I'll find a way to like slide through the loophole. But you didn't say, you said I couldn't have any, any, any red jelly beans. You didn't say anything about yellow, right? They're very quick to like find the hole. And I feel like as we age, our minds become very confined by constructs. And it's just like, well, if I don't know how, then that means I can't do it versus I'll just find a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's always a loophole here. There's always like constraints that we can't see. Or maybe these constraints don't actually, that's my favorite. The constraints don't actually exist except in our own minds. Who told you you can't? Yeah. And it's like, oh, I told myself. I, I felt that way about a podcast. It was your idea, Jen, to have a podcast. And I was <coughs> Say it again. Like, what was that? It was your idea. What, what was it? Oh. <laughs> I'm looking at Lisa now because you, you know. Switzerland! <laughs> Poor Lisa's having to wave her white flag all the time. Like, <laughs> don't, don't get me involved in this. I'm so yeah, sorry. But, but, but so you're like, let's have, I think we should have a podcast. And I'm like, I don't have time for a podcast. I don't want a podcast. How? I don't know. How? I mean, this is like Apple and we got to do all these things and elements. And oh, my goodness, I don't know how to do that. And what kind of equipment do we need? And we got to buy mics. And like, we had several. We bought a mic before that didn't work. And we try in different places. And it's just like, oh, this is a lot of work. I don't know how. And we, I don't know how. How are we going to get in? It was like a big thing to work up and like get into the Apple store. And we had, you know, it was like all yeah. this stuff. And it, every step for me was like I was paralyzed sometimes by like, oh, my God. And then that first episode that we released, I remember saying to myself, <gasps> <sighs> um, I'm still unhappy with the audio quality. I want to go back and fix it. <laughs> Point being, <laughs> I was afraid to release it. Yeah. I was just like, let's just wait. Let's just re-record it, right? There's the idea of like, let's be a perfectionist about it. Let's get it, air quote, right. When really, it was a fear of releasing it, right? So I could we could have had a dialogue about making it perfect, right. but that would have been sabotage. Yeah, absolutely. Right? From, like, just get it out there, start somewhere, and give yourself room to find a way. And now here we are, more than 20 episodes later, and it's pretty smooth. And Season and two. We're in season two. Look at that. Woo woo. Yeah, I think the other thing that sometimes, uh, going back to the idea of familiarity, is that sometimes people are so accustomed to chaos that they will create it. If, even if it doesn't exist, mm. right? And so we talk, we call, um, sorry, what do we call that? When someone's like drama driven, right? Crazy. Mm. <laughs> Diva. Yeah, but it's like, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, I heard somebody describe it as like being an emotional adrenaline junkie, yeah. right? So if, if, you, if you've ever lived through uh, a situation that was traumatic, but people survived, you know, you get that rush mm. and you're like, <gasps> whew. Right. Um, And then sometimes I think we try to manufacture that because we feel like something's missing or this is boring, you know, and people do it in relationships a lot where they're just looking for like the charge. Right. And especially if they come from a a household that had some sort of trauma. Right. Maybe a parent who was um, battling some sort of addiction or abusive. Right. That that the family bonded over um, trying to 
shield themselves from whatever that force was. And often that force would create adrenaline. And so they associate, you know, what, what feels good to be close to people when you're going through a crisis. So then they create a crisis because they want to feel close to the people. They want to have that charge. And so I think sometimes we end up doing that and we don't even realize that we are just in the way of our true intent. Hmm, I agree. And that, that it's crazy. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> it is crazy, but I think the the most prevalent way that you do see this, you know, lived out is in relationships. People tend to be in relationships. That, I mean, that from the outside, people are like, what are y'all even doing? Like, why are you guys together? You're screaming and yelling all the time, but they're Lord. like, I love it. It's exciting. And then people are like, and then we make up and it's great. And it's like, what is it though? Mm. Um, it can't be good for you. It, it's not good for you. I mean, you, you literally live in a place of fight or flight, which we know is awful for the body. Adrenaline is not meant to be sustained um, sustained for a prolonged period of time. Mm -mm. It's not something that you're meant to experience every day or every week. It's literally survival mode. So if you're living every day in survival mode, what is that doing to your insides and your organs and your right or your life or your yeah. relationships really? It can't be good. No. It can't be good. Yeah. It's an, and it's anxiety producing. Uh, a lot of people do live, uh, to your point, Jenna, um, coming out of environments, um, familial environments where there was high stress, especially what I see is that high functioning people who come out of those environments, um, they are used to a certain level of, of anxiety and it becomes very normal. So they're very good at operating in a highly stressful environment and they don't even feel stressed. They yeah. absolutely are though, um, but then they will create stress, right? It's like, and not, not just, and not intentionally, but it's just like, if there's not a fire, then I don't know how to, to, to spend my time. Like I got my hat, hard hat and my fire gear always. And so it's like, look, they're looking for a fire. I'm ready. I'm ready. Where's the fire? And it's like, wait, there's no fire. Well, then, um, no, I got my gear on. It's got to be a fire somewhere. It's like, let's go find it. Let's go find it. Exactly. And that's not that's not living life. That's absolutely what Lila said. That's survival mode. Mm -hmm. And and but to but to step back and to be able to say that consciously, like you know what, there's no fire. I don't have to put out a fire today. Let's go to the beach. Like those are people who cannot go just go to the beach. Like what are you talking about? No, no, no. There's always five million things that need to be done and some 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 crisis crisis that needs to be addressed yeah but again what does that do to your life and you got to be conscious of it first in order to say i'm gonna create something different here for myself i think yeah that there's a difference between living in survival mode and being a survivor right so once the trauma or the crisis has ended you are a survivor and you can move on to living life, not carrying all of those things with you on a daily basis. And it can be difficult. Again, and again, you know, we talk about, you know, you might need help to be able to do that. But it absolutely is important to be able to separate. I experience that, but it doesn't have to be what I carry into my future. Yes, I love it. Thank you for listening. 
please connect with us on social media at The Jealous Vegan on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or at thejealousvegan.com, and sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content to support your plant-based journey. And until then, don't let perfection be the enemy of progress.